Hello, and welcome to Moving Markets by Julius Baer. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Good morning. My name is Roman Canciani. I'm an investment writer at Julius Baer, and this is what has been happening over the past hours on financial markets. After a sloppy start of the trading day, on generally weaker economic data, which showed a steep cooling in manufacturing and a slumping home-builder sentiment, US markets still ended the day on a positive note. The S&P 500 index ended the day up by 0.4%, just below the 4,500 points mark, with nine of its 11 sectors in the green for the day. Outperforming sectors were consumer staples and utilities, while materials and especially energy were the two sectors in the red. The energy sector was down 2% as oil declined for a third day in a row as a potential ramp-up of supply combined with an economic slowdown bothered traders. One barrel of crude oil uh, costs below 95 US dollars this morning. In a fixed income space, there was a bit of a rally in the shorter tenors of the US Treasury curve, with two-year yields falling to 317, while 10-year yields are at 277 this morning. So, despite a bit of a flattening, the inversion across the maturity spectrum remains pretty accentuated, which means that investors are still struggling to believe that a recession in the world's biggest economy can be averted. The US dollar, meanwhile, is drifting slightly lower this morning after rising the most in two weeks yesterday. The euro currently trades at 101.60 and the British pound is at 120.5 against the US dollar. Speaking of the pound, Rishi Sunak, one of the two contenders left for the succession of Boris Johnson as UK Prime Minister, has pledged to overhaul what he called the bloated civil service in the UK if he gets the top job. He wants to do that by cutting staff, slashing some pay rewards and reducing transfers between government departments. It remains to be seen whether such plans help him catching up with Liz Truss, his political opponent, who is still leading the polls to become the next UK Prime Minister. In other news, European power prices jumped to a fresh record yesterday as natural gas extended its gains. One megawatt hour now costs almost six times as much as this time last year, with the price doubling in the past two months alone. According to Bloomberg, Germany's households will face additional annual costs of about 290 euros to pay for natural gas over the coming year. In Asia, stock markets have not been able to profit from the ongoing rally in the US. Main markets are all trading slightly in the red this morning. There's good and bad news out of China. The bad news is that the country reported more than 2,000 new coronavirus infections for the fourth day in a row, putting its COVID-0 strategy under further strain. The good news is an article in the Financial News, which is a newspaper backed by the central bank, which says that the country needs to roll out more stimulus to boost economic growth. The Chinese CSI 300 index was about even, while Hong Kong was down about 0.6% when I last saw a few minutes ago. The Japanese Nikkei closed about even and remains one of the very few markets which is in a positive for the year so far. Looking ahead to the trading day, it seems that Europe's markets are going to be able to build on yesterday's advances in the morning. In terms of data, we have already had UK unemployment, which came in at 3.8%, just as expected, and await the latest German ZEW survey later this morning. In the US, all eyes are going to be on the earnings of Walmart, which reports today after its profit warning last month. 
That's all about the latest from the markets. Now I'm handing over to Sophie Altamat from Macro and Next Generation Research, who shares her views on where the Chinese economy is heading to. Please go ahead, Sophie. Thank you very much, Roman, and good morning, everyone. Today, I'd like to talk about the largely disappointing economic data flow out of China over the past few days and why the Chinese economy might have fallen into a liquidity trap. Yeah, so over the past few days, the latest economic data came in rather weak and showed a broad-based slowing of economic momentum in July. While we actually expected a rather bumpy recovery, what is mainly worrying is the ongoing downward spiral in the property sector and the potential contagion effects. The latest mortgage boycott crisis has added further pressure here. Further, in line with the weaker economic activity, credit dynamics have worsened and underpinned the downside risks for the Chinese economy. Actually, despite ample liquidity within the banking system and the further acceleration in money supply, credit growth has been weakening. And we believe that this is a sign that the transmission of monetary policy to the real economy is not working smoothly. Actually, we think that monetary policy transmission has become less effective and that this is related to the downward spiral in the property sector. So let me explain why. Well, historically, the property sector has been a major contributor to credit creation. And in the past, it has traditionally been used as a channel to stimulate the economy in downturn periods. Then in summer last year, the government started to contain the debt accumulation of highly leveraged developers and as you all know, this has led to a vicious circle in the property market and has caused financing difficulties for a broad range of developers. And at the same time, housing demand has slumped and with that demand for mortgages. So the turmoil in the property sector has, in fact, disrupted a major credit channel, which has traditionally been used to stimulate the economy in the past. But it is not only the credit crunch in the property sector which creates frictions in monetary policy transmission mechanism. The unpredictable COVID situation under China's zero COVID strategy also creates frictions. It's causing huge uncertainty for households and businesses. And in uncertain times, consumers prefer to save rather than to consume because they are worried about their jobs and about their income. And businesses have little appetite to hire people and to invest if a renewed lockdown might just be around the corner. So credit demand and credit creation overall currently appear to be constrained from several angles, and this makes the transmission of monetary policy less effective. And it puts China at risk to be in a liquidity trap where loser monetary policy is not able to stimulate the economy. And this is very relevant because the People's Bank of China just cut two of its policy rates yesterday and there might be more to come as the PBOC seems worried about the latest economic weaknesses. However, as mentioned before, in the current environment, slightly lower interest rates are unlikely to be sufficient to stimulate credit demand and provide much support for the economy. We expect sentiment and credit demand to remain rather weak as long as the turmoil in the property market persists and as long as there are risks that renewed COVID outbreaks might again disrupt the economy. So in line with this and the latest economic data, 
we expect the recovery to remain rather fragile and maintain our growth forecast of 3% in the current year. So that's all from my side from today. And with that, I hand back to you, Roman. Thank you very much, Sophie. Next on the show is Lucia Chachulovic from Investment Writing. Please go ahead, Lucia. Thank you, Roman. Now, I would like to draw your attention to two investment views that we published last week. The first investment view is called The Future is Green, and it highlights the energy transition. While the ongoing energy crisis has little to do with the energy transition, it is certainly accelerating the shift to renewables. From an investment perspective, we have a constructive view on two particular sub-themes within the next generation energy transition theme, which is clean energy and future mobility. Both play a key role in fighting climate change. And the second investment view is called Ready to Rumble and focuses on beaten down stocks. While we are still relatively defensively positioned in our equity allocation, it may be time to reallocate some money to stocks that have suffered this year, but are now well positioned to make a recovery. Our equity analysts have selected 14 stocks based on six key characteristics. Market leading position, pricing power, growth prospects, earnings momentum, resilience and attractive valuation. For more information on the two investment views, please refer to our Julius Baer Investment Insights app or contact your Julius Baer representative. That's it from me. Back to you, Roman. Thank you very much, Lucia. With that, we conclude today's episode of the Moving Markets podcast. Thank you very much to our speakers and thank you all for tuning in. We do hope that you'll join us again soon. I wish you all a good day ahead. Bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information.